0: Amen, amen. You can go and have a seat, and it's a joy to worship together. Amen. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter four today. If you want to get a head start, Ephesians chapter four. Uh, my name is Dan Hammer, the privilege of being the senior pastor here, and you are family here, whether this is your first time here or you've been here many, many times. Thank you so much, Tommy. Um, you are family here, whether you're joining us in person or online, and if this is your first time here, we'd love to get to know you. Um, there is a There is a card in the seat back in front of you we'd love for you to fill out so that we can know how to pray for you and, and walk with you, and we're so thankful for how God is working in this place. Amen? And so thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for God's faithfulness. He is at work in a significant way. We're going to continue our From Start to as series as we spend six weeks and going, what is this disciple-making culture that God has called us to have here at Harvest? And how are we making disciples? What's the pathway for everyone? And by definition of a pathway, we each have a next step. And what's our leadership development pipeline as we go take scripture and really look to apply it to our lives? And this is the heartbeat of what we do because it's a heartbeat of what God has called us to do. We're all about the Great Commission at Harvest. And uh, did you guys have a good holiday season, Christmas and New Year's? I know some of you guys have traveled, some of you guys seen you guys for the first time. And uh, we got to host some family. One of them, uh, my in-laws came in for a couple days. days. My father-in-law, Tom, is an amazing man uh, full of many, many gifts and talents. And uh, one of them is he's a marathon runner, even in his 70s, which is like mind-blowing to me. So uh, a couple days after Christmas, he and I went out for a run. Don't you dare call it a jog um, or else I learned that the heart way. Uh, We ran a 5K, and uh, my goal um, was to do it without stopping and uh, to not die. Um, Well, I succeeded at both of those things, but I am still feeling it, okay? Um, Praise God for His grace. Um, But one of the things my father-in-law has taught me throughout the years is that there actually is a proper way to run. Who knew, right? There, there's a, yes, Stephen knew. Uh, that there is a form and where you hit your feet and your posture in order to help you accomplish the goal, to finish the race, to improve your personal records, and, and so on and so forth. Well, as we go into the text today, because the reality is life is a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. 26.2 miles is a long time. And however many days God has preordained for you is a long time. Life is a marathon. We're going to go into the text today from Ephesians chapter 4, and the apostle Paul is going to teach us today that on the marathon that is life, that is our spiritual journey, there is a specific way that we are to walk, that we are to approach it, that we are to handle our day-to-day every, decisions, responsibilities, actions, because what we do matters, That every step we take, one step at a time, we're either walking closer to God or walking away from God. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to walk with Christ. At Harvest, so we're all about multiplying disciples, and we talk about a maturing disciple as being one who is worshiping Christ, walking with Christ, and working for Christ. So, the next step that we're going to look at today on our disciple making pathway is what does it mean to walk with Christ? to walk this way, as Paul's going to say. And no, we're not talking about an Aerosmith song. There is a specific way that God would have us to walk. And through our, as we continue to progressively build each week, we're going to see that hopefully we're becoming more and more like Christ. None of us, and we're going to see explicitly from the text today, that the goal is to become exactly like Christ, mature, full maturity. None of us have arrived, right? So by definition, all of us have a next step to take. Last week, we saw that the starting point on our journey this from start to send, is a new relationship with Christ, is a new life that is found through Christ. It's a fresh start, a new beginning. And then after that, that baseline, we now take our next step to what does it look like to live a life walking with Christ, to grow day by day as we yield our hearts more and more. As we get to the end of the, ser- uh, the, the sermon series, we're going to spend the last two weeks looking at what does it look like to take on, to embrace kingdom responsibility, and then what does it look like to daily live missionally? We're going to, on Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to call it our Sent Sunday. The series is from start to sent. So Super Bowl Sunday, February 12th, we're going call to call it our Sent Sunday. And we're going to see explicitly in the text today that fulfilling the Great Commission Ed, takes not just some of us, right, but all of us. You have a role to play in helping yourself grow to be more like God as the Holy Spirit empowers you and helping the person next to you and behind you and around you grow to be more like God. Over the last eight months, we've seen God do an incredible work in, the, in his church here. This is Harvest is Jesus' church. He, he planted it. He's building it. He's growing it. Praise God. It's not about me. It's not about our elders or our staff. It's all about Jesus, as we're going to see in the text today. And we want to praise God specifically for two ways that he is moving powerfully in this area of leader development, disciple multiplication here at Harvest as he builds his church and embracing kingdom responsibility. At the, at the first way is this. Uh, I want you to pull out next to you or near you should be the small groups sheet that is near you. At the end of the service, we're going to pray for our small groups because there is no growing to full spiritual maturity outside of biblical community. We're going to see that today. But these are our new small groups. We have five of them. We've changed the leadership in, a, in two of our different small groups. Okay, so first and foremost, I want to publicly thank Austin and Flora Jewel and Ryan and Carrie Eller, who are outgoing small group leaders. Uh, just thank you so much for all of your work over the last several years in loving and shepherding the flock. And we're excited that Nate and Stephanie Pine and Jeff and Shauna Gottlieb are stepping in to really embrace kingdom responsibility of leading small groups. And so at this forum, if you're not in a small group, this is going to be a reiterating priority throughout today, I would encourage you, our goal, our prayer is that 100% of people that call Harvest Our Church Home are actively involved and engaged in a small group, 100%, because we believe biblically that there is no growing to full spiritual maturity, as we're going to see in Ephesians 4, outside of biblical community, that we need to be in small groups together, living life together, growing in God together. So if you're not in an active small group, I want you to look at these five different options and select one or maybe you want to check two that you want more interested in, fill out your name and drop it in the offering box on the back on your way out or give it to me or give it to Pastor Andrew, somebody with a green lanyard. And if you're online, drop a comment in the comment field and go, hey, I wanted more info on small groups. We'll go to our harvestannapolis.org backslash small groups webpage. All this information is there. Um, but really want to encourage you and prepare you. We're going to call you and challenge you to step up and commit to living life together in biblical community through small groups. It's part of walking with Christ. It's an instrumental part. So that's exciting. Praise God for that way. The other thing that God is really doing in this church is He's growing new, new leadership. And so we are excited. I'm really excited. After eight months of praying and processing a thorough process, I'm, we are, Ted Dressel, Austin Jewell, and myself, our current elder board, are excited to present to you today Don Webster and Pastor Andrew Watkins as hopeful new elders of our church uh, to be installed on our Sent Sunday, February. 12th. Now we are presenting them to you, and thank you so much for your nominations, and it's been a very prayer-filled process to you for the next four weeks, that if there is anything that you have with them that might hinder their ability to, to elder or to lead, that you need to resolve the conflict or something in in a Matthew 18 fashion, I ask that you go to them in the next four weeks by February 5th to try to resolve that. If you have if that can't be resolved between the two of you guys or gals or whatever, come and bring it to the elders, and we will process through that as in a Matthew 18 fashion. But we're so excited for what God is doing, and we're so excited. And on that day, also, Austin Jewell will conclude his, time on our active elder board. So be sure to thank him for his service to our church. God has used him in a phenomenal way. So just super thankful for for Austin and how he's working. Super thankful for Pastor Andrew and Don and their willingness to embrace and to step up into kingdom responsibility. And I just want to encourage encourage all of you that God is building not just these guys, but a pipeline full of men and women that are stepping into more and more of leadership and and responsibilities and and whether it be ministries, small groups, eldership for the men um, here at Harvest. thank you, and I'm excited to see what God will continue to do. Keep growing, keep going, because we want to keep multiplying, amen? And so we want to continue to do this is part of this pipeline. This is part of this pathway. This is why we're doing it. And it takes all of us, not just some of us. So pray for these men, pray for their families, and walk like these men. That's what an elder is. It's a, it's a humbling and scary reality of saying, follow me as I follow Christ, right? It's scary. And what a privilege it is to serve the church. It is done in in a servant leadership role, not in an authoritarian role, to model and to lead and to love like Christ. Not perfectly, but pursuing. Because that's what this journey is about. We're not perfect, but we are pursuing. Here's a big idea for today. I've already said it a couple times. If you haven't picked up on it yet, you'll see it on the screen. That I can't reach full spiritual maturity outside of biblical community. I can't reach full spiritual maturity. And if you're a believer... Our goal should be to become more like Christ and ultimately to become the most like Christ humanly possible this side of Jesus coming back. And that cannot be done in isolation. It cannot be done in in solo Christianity. That's not how God created us. And this text today is gonna explicitly teach us that we can't reach full, full spiritual maturity outside of biblical community. We're all in this together. Praise God. Praise God that we're a family. And every single person in this room has a vitally, vitally important role to play in that. So let's go to the word in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for how you are building your church. Praise God. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts and just convict us with a passion to grow to be more like you, to love others like you. And God, just to live a life full of worship towards you in response of what you have done for us and ultimately who you are to us. Father, I just pray that you would silence me and that your words would flow. Father, I pray that you would continue to build your church. Father, I pray that you would continue to have your way in our hearts, in us and through us, that we would all take the next step today, that you would have us and then take the next step tomorrow and to continue to progress, to become more like you. Silence me these next few moments and may your Holy Spirit flow. And Holy Spirit, may you do what you promised to do, convict and encourage. God, exhort us, compel us, Help us, God, we need you to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. God, we love you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, this is another passage that we could have a whole eight-week sermon series on, but we're going to do it today over the next few moments. Ephesians 4, the first 16 verses of chapter 4 is what we're going to be today. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he writes this to the church at Ephesus. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Praise God. Amen. So as you jump into the beginning of this text, we need to understand that discipleship is at the heart, is at the heart of Jesus's great commission. That's what we see Paul doing here. Paul is writing back to a church that he planted. He spent more time at the church at Ephesus than any other church, approximately three years. And a few years later, he's writing back, most likely writing from jail to a church that he loves to help disciple them, to help grow them Now, the the great commission to which we have been called and commissioned is to literally go and make disciples of what? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and, and, and teaching them to obey and observe all the commands that Jesus has taught us, knowing that Jesus is with us to the end of the age. It means progressively growing in spiritual maturity, discipleship does. It requires a teacher and an apprentice. So can you do it alone? No, it requires community, right? You can't do it by yourself. You need to have the humility to be taught, to grow, to come under someone who is a little bit further down the road. None of us have arrived, but some of us might be at different places in our spiritual journey than others. And we can all learn and grow from each other. It requires a personal commitment and a biblical community, which we're gonna see Paul explicitly outline today. Now, our mission here at Harvest, which is why we're going through this sermon series, is to multiply, to, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's our mission. Our vision is one mission, one church, one family. All right, where'd you get that from? This text this text. How many times did we just read the word one? Seven. So at the heartbeat of this vision is this text, and explicitly the one church piece comes directly from this text. This is one of the most preeminent texts for the function, how Jesus designed his church to function, and how Jesus is the foundation. So make no mistake, Jesus is the foundation of the church. And what's the function? Well, one of the explicit functions is to maintain the unity of the church and to help build each other up to become more like Jesus. The foundation to start to send is Jesus. It's worship. So when we talk about worship, walk, work, worship is everything. It's not just one aspect of it. So as we're going to talk about our walk today, as we're going to see from this text and from the whole book of Ephesians, that as we walk, walking with Jesus is worship. And then a, we walk as a function of our worship, and we, as we actually do walk, we are giving Jesus worship. Praise God to that. So Paul, in this text today, is outlining, just like we have our discipleship pathway that we're walking through these next six weeks, his own version of a discipleship pathway that we are pulling from for the church that he loves in Ephesus. So when look with me at verse 1. When Paul writes this, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called It's really important to understanding in context this, this verse in all of Scripture and to apply it. That's why we want to study it and grow in it on a daily basis. So when he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. He's not saying if you feel like it, right? Urging is an exhortation. It's kind of like as parents right when you go to your kids hey if you don't mind it would you clean your room and they're like actually I do mind it I'm not going to clean my room and then you go like what clean your room right it's not an option anymore i'm sorry if you thought it was paul is like no it's not an option walk what way this way there is a specific way to walk walk in a manner worthy of the calling now anytime you read scripture and you go, I therefore, and you see the word therefore, and I always think of my brother Carlos, because he always says this all the time, when you see the word therefore, you should always ask yourself, What? What is therefore therefore? It's a connector phrase. It connects back into the passage and the words that were right above it. Now remember when you look at scripture, these were written as one letter. Paul wasn't right, let me well, wasn't like, let me just write one section and then the next No, it all connects. It all connects, and so Paul is connecting back right here to the previous three chapters. He's connecting back explicitly to the end of chapter 3 that had just happened, where he had just outlined his prayer that the church at Ephesus would know the height and the width and the depth of the love of God, that that would strengthen them to understand the reality that God wants to do in them and through them far more than they could ever hope or imagine or think. That's verse 20 of chapter 3 for what? For the glory in the church, right? To build the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So when you think about acting on a daily basis, it has a generational impact and it's to build the church and it's to bring God glory. So Paul's like, in view of all of those things, here's how you should act on a daily basis. Here's how you should think on a daily basis. Your walk is your your daily actions, your daily thought processes, your daily habits. And even more than that is tying back into the overall theme of the book of Ephesians. The thesis statement for the book of Ephesians is found in chapter one, verse three, where Paul says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is out of an overflow of a heart of worship. Everything else flows. Paul is making his point throughout the rest of the book to go back to chapter one, verse three and connect it. So this is all about our worship. And so now he is about to say, walk this way as a function of your worship, as a part of your worship to God, blessed be our God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk away worthy, worthy of what? The calling you've received. Well, what's that calling? Go back to chapter one, where it outlines the calling. Well, Paul says, you have been predestined, you've been chosen, you've been adopted, you've been saved, you have been been secured in Christ Jesus. That's the calling that God has given us. So in view of that, as an overflow of the new creation that you are, walk in this specific way that honors that, that reflects that. So that is what Paul is saying here in verse one of chapter four. And that's in the manner in which we should all live today. So how do we walk in this way that is worthy of the calling, that is worthy as living as new creation, that's worthy as living as ones that have been saved by Jesus? Where today we're going to look at three different heart-level questions we should be asking ourselves on a daily basis as we evaluate our calling. It's like a heart checkup. Am I walking worthy? Am I walking in a way worthy of the calling that God has given me? So ask yourself these questions today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as you go about your daily life. Here's the first heart level question of asking us the reality of, am I daily pursuing spiritual maturity? Because to be, spiritual, be pursuing spiritual maturity is evidenced in walking worthy. Here's the first question. In my walk with Christ, Am I pursuing gospel unity? Am I pursuing gospel unity? Now remember, Paul was writing to a church. Actually, he's writing to more than one church. This was a circular letter. So it was written to a gathering of different local churches in the Ephesus region. So are we walking worthy in this way? Am I pursuing biblical unity? Paul in verse 1 says, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. He was most likely writing from jail. He was literally a prisoner for the Lord. He was most likely a prisoner for the Lord. In our walk, may we not just walk the walk, may we not just talk our talk, but we need to walk the walk, right? Paul was doing that. He was doing that. As he continues in chapter one, he talks about his pursuit of unity in verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we need to ask ourselves, am I eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the church in the bond of peace? Am I eager? Am I excited to try to maintain? Now, maintain unity is active, not passive, right? Am I working to maintain unity within the church with people that vote differently than me, that think differently than me, that want to sing different worship songs than me, that just personality-wise I don't naturally click with? Am I looking and working actively to maintain that unity? Again, this is not a suggestion, but an exhortation from a heart-level reflection of the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross. And we can't do this on our own. That's why the unity is provided and empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we see that in verse 3. The unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit is dying more and more to myself. And we need to get to a level as we pursue unity that it's not just I have to, but it's I want to. I want to love you like God first loved me even if we're different, even if we see things differently, even if we have different desires for different programs or priorities or how to spend money or what to do with our time, that I want to love you because God first loved me. Now, what is unity of the Spirit, you might be asking? Well, the the text lays it out right here. Look with me at verses four through six. How do we know what unity is? Look at the seven different ones that Paul lays out right here. He said there is one body, one body, what's the one body? Unity is unity, not uniformity. A body is a family. He's talking about a church family here. He's talking about the reality that we are the reality that we are knit together by what God has done for us. That we are united together in theology, even if we differ in philosophy and methodology even if we differ in theology and philosophy. I mean, even if we differ in methodology and philosophy. So that means that I'm united in gospel centrality, gospel essentials, even if I wish we were singing different worship songs. And this is a universal church. It's okay to be philosophically different. It's okay to be methodologically different because guess what? It takes all types of churches to reach all different types of people, Amen. So it's okay if one church sings hymns and another church sings um tempo songs as long as we're worshiping the Lord. One body. One spirit. That God the Holy Spirit is the one that creates our unity and he gives us the power to maintain it. One hope. That we all have one hope. You know what his name is? Jesus. How do I know that? Well, go back, flip your page. I don't know how your Bible's laid out to chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 1. We are united not just in our hope, but we are united in our death because Ephesians chapter two, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power, the air of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, we're united in our depravity and our need for Jesus's salvation. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God, praise God, amen. Here's the hope, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. That's not just some of us, right? It's all of us made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his goodness and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast we are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Amen. One hope. Who's our hope? Jesus. Next, one Lord, Jesus. He's our boss. He's our master today. That means that our preferences, we lay them down because we are serving Jesus overall. One faith, we're united in the essentials of our doctrinal belief that Jesus is the only one who can save us. One baptism, as we saw last week, we're united in the reality that we've personally identified, chosen to put our faith in Jesus and identified him in death and burial and in resurrection. And experience experienced salvation through God's grace, through our faith. And one God and Father, through Jesus Christ, we are united in the reality that we are now family. That God is over us and watching for us. Look around you right now. When we talk about one family, this is family, amen? You can't grow to full spiritual maturity outside of biblical community. And we see the beauty of God's trinity right here, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all at work in our salvation and producing unity and in our sanctification. Now you might be thinking here, Pastor Dan, that's great. You know, good for the church at Ephesus. They had some Mormon fuzzies. They all got together and sang kumbaya. Yeah, that can't happen now. Do you not understand how divisive our culture is? How politics are threatening us and and to vaccine or to not vaccine, to mask or to not mask, to vote for this person, not vote for this? What about racial tensions? What about socioeconomic differences? There's no way we could be unified, right? Well, flip back with me, if you would, to the church at Ephesus. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at once you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, what? Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and from strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope. Remember, we're unified in one hope. At one point, we had no hope. Why? Because we're outside of God. And without God in the world, that's a horrible way to exist. But now, in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near, praise God, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our what? Peace. Who has made us both One. Here's a one tone again. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the wall of the law of commandments and expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, unity, in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, one family, with the saints and the members of the household of God, one community, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen? There is no spiritual maturity outside of biblical community. In the Holy Spirit, we're building, being built together, together as one family into Jesus, who is the head. Praise God. Amen. Now, our job—that's the unity. These are seven marks of unity, if you would, of the church. So that's what we're f- supposed to fight. I do mean fight to maintain. But how do we do that? Well, Paul Paul outlines for us in this chapter four text how we do this, as he's established the reality that what God—that what is uni- strong enough to unite us—is way stronger than what threatens to divide us. The context is in, the, in this biblical time and age, racism was rampant. The Gentiles and Jews hated each other, hated each other. But God, the gospel tore down the walls of hostility and brought reconciliation where there was racism. Praise God. He's done it before and he will do it again. And now Paul tells us how our role is to be lived out daily in verses two, 1 and 2. So Paul looks at how do we pursue unity daily? He says this, remember the gospel's impact on me. Verse one, remember that to how God called you, how you were dead in your sin, how you were a mess and into your mess, God's mercy came. Remember God's grace and God's mercy to you that changed everything. And then through that lens, look at your neighbor. Through that lens, look at the one who who votes differently than you. Through that lens, look at the one who thinks differently than you about vaccines or whatever it is. Remember the gospel's impact on you and how we were all united in our depravity and united in our necessity for a savior. And may that allow you to soften your hearts as you look at others, as you grow in spiritual maturity. Second way to maintain unity daily for each of us is to choose humility. Verse 2. With all humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, as some have said, it's thinking of yourself less. It's John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. It's Jesus in Philippians two saying he laid down he, he laid down his rights, he came down from heaven, he he became a servant. Philippians two says that we should humility is exalting Jesus overall and it's considering others before us in all. Are you doing that? It's not banging the table for my preferences personally or my programs. It's laying them down. Because remember, verse three says unity is possible through the power of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now what is peace? Ephesians two fourteen, we just read it. Who is peace? Jesus. Jesus purchased our peace, He is our peace. Choose humility. Choose the attitude of Jesus who the night before he went to the cross said, Father, if there's any other way, take this cross from me, but not my will, but take this cup from me, not my will, but whose be done? Yours. That's humility. Third, Third way to daily pursue unity is let gentleness define me. Verse two, right there, with all humility and with gentleness. This word is also in the in the Greek, it's the same word for meekness. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's becoming less and less of yourself and allowing the spirit to control you. Meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control, as others have said. Moses is known in the Bible as the meekest man on earth. No, he struggled. He didn't always get it right, right? He wasn't able to go to the promised land because he got angry and disobeyed God in his anger. But he was meek. He put up with people that were cranky for a long period of time. He stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. He got over his own fears of speaking to Pharaoh because God was with him and God, God is with you. The Bible says, always always be able to give a reason for the hope that you have, first Peter said, but do so with what? Gentleness and respect. Are you being gentle to those that are around you? Or live patiently. We see this in the text right here, right? With patience. This word also means long suffering. There is no spiritual maturity without suffering. How many of us shortchange our own spiritual maturity? I remember a sermon Pastor Andrew preached on this several months ago. We shortchange our own spiritual maturity because we are unwilling to endure suffering. Suffering is part of our sanctification process. By which God, through pressure and through uncomfortable things, purifies us and refines us. Gets the impurities more and more out so that we can reflect more and more pure reality of Jesus Christ in our life. One of the most dangerous prayers you can pray is, God, please help me grow patience, right? Because he will not just give you patience, most likely, he will give you the opportunity to be patient. And in that we'll reveal the reality that all of us are very much in our flesh, impatient, selfish human beings. Patience comes through gospel perspective. How patient God is with us. Second Peter 3:9, it says that God is wants all to reach that God is patient with us, wanting all to reach repentance. What would have change in your life, in my life, and in the life of this church if we took that approach with every single person, that we would be patient with others because we desire for them to reach repentance in the same way that God is continually patient with you and I? The fifth and final thing that we can do from this text to maintain, to work for unity on a daily basis is to bear with one another lovingly. That's right in the text in verse two, bear with one another in love. Bear with means put up with, right? It means to choose love. Love is a verb. Love should define us. That's why we say you are loved because God has loved you perfectly. Will you choose him? Will you choose to love others like he has loved you? John 13, 34 and 35 Jesus says that the love of God, the sacrificial love of God, should be what defines us as his believers, as his disciples. Are you bearing with others in love, or are you running away when it gets hard? And trust me, living in biblical community gives you ample opportunity to experience what it means to bear with me, right? Literally me. Like, thank you for putting up with me. I'm imperfect. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. There's a target-rich environment to learn how to love when you're living life in biblical community. How God designed us. God is glorified when His church is unified. And this is not groupthink. This is God think. Praise God that we all think differently. Praise God that we have different ideas. But it's the humility we come under God and through the Spirit we ask the Spirit to lead us. That's why we, our elders, governed by lead by consensus here, and we will not move forward until all of us are on the same page. There have been multiple things over the years that we're not going to move forward on until all of us are on the same page about because we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that He will lead us and guide us. Praise God for that. I can't reach full spiritual maturity outside of biblical community. The second question that we need, heart question that we need to ask ourselves daily is this Am I stewarding my spiritual gifts faithfully? Book with me at verse 7 through the end. But grace, Paul says, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all the things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. So verse 7 teaches a beautiful reality that Jesus doesn't just give us the gift of salvation, praise God for that, right? But he also gives us a spiritual gift. If you are in Christ, if you will put your faith in the Lord, the Holy Spirit through Jesus has given given you a spiritual gift. Now, each one of us, if you put your faith in the Lord, the Bible teaches has at least one spiritual gift. Some have more. And everyone has a different gift, and we don't get to choose our gifts, but this text teaches us by according to the measure of God's grace, Jesus chooses what gift is given to us. Grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. You and I don't deserve these gifts, but praise God, he gives them to us. Amen? I love this text. It, t- it reaches back into the Old Testament Is this quote, Paul is quoting Psalm 68, and he's referring to basically the reality that a king would come back from war with spoils of victory and give them out to the people. Here he is, Paul is drawing the line directly to Christ, the ultimate victor who defeated the cross. And as he comes back, he gives to his people, us, you and I, his body, the spoils of victory over death, spiritual gifts. With the purpose of doing what? Well, let's look at the text. What's the purpose of your gift? Book with me at verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for what? Building up the body of Christ. The gift that you have been given is for the specific purpose by God to build up the church of God. We're going to look at this a lot more in depth next week. Now, the full list of giftings is not listed here. You can also look at Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. And we're going to, we're going to dig into 1 Peter 4 next week. But you have to understand that on our process to walk with the Lord, working for the Lord is not optional. You want to grow in spiritual maturity, you have to steward your spiritual gifts faithfully. And you have to do that inside of biblical community because the gifts are specifically given to build up the church, to build up the body of Christ. It's a discipleship issue, it's a heart issue. The giver of the gift is Jesus. The recipient of the gift is those who've put his faith in him. The purpose of the gift is to build the church. The question is: what are you doing with your gift? Because when you're not stewarding your gift, you don't own your gift. When you're not stewarding it, other people are, are paying the price for it. Because it is impossible for me to grow to feel, full spiritual maturity unless in our body Stephen is using his gifts because I benefit from them. That's what this text is teaching. So when we stand up here and we will talk about next week opportunities to serve, or man, it would be great if we had more people on the production team, or we have a couple of spots to fill in the, the kids ministry, the student ministry, or the welcome team, or or the pulling weeds team, or whatnot, or the chase the squirrel out of the attic team, which happened on Friday. Thank you. <gasps> those aren't just tasks and the, those aren't just calendar holes to fill. It's a discipleship issue. And our privilege as pastors, as elders, as staff, is to equip you, like this text says, verse 11 and 12, to do the work of the ministry. Now, who is supposed to do the work of the ministry? The saints, the body. So if you're part of the the body of God's global church, would you raise your hand, right? Awesome. Awesome. You are called and commissioned to do the work of the ministry. Can't tell you how many times people come to me and say, Pastor, I have a great idea for you. And I'm like, you sure it's for me? What if the church were to do this? Well, you know, you're a part of the church. Maybe God's not calling the whole church to do it. Maybe he's calling you to do it. So friends, where have you been shirking your spiritual responsibility to do what God is calling you to do? Because you're waiting and looking and hoping someone else will do it. Because maybe it's too hard. Maybe it costs too much. I don't know. Too inconvenient, but that's part of spiritual maturity. May we not do that as Harvest, as, as we all. We are doing great in that here at Harvest, but we have we have steps to take in that. You have a gift, and look at the outcome of the gift. And we're gonna, again we're going to dive much more into this. That we would all grow to build up the body of Christ. And look at verse thirteen. Until what's the next two words there? We all community. We all, spiritual maturity is not for just some of us, it's for all of us until we all, leave no disciple behind, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, so that some significant steps along the way are unity in faith and knowledge, we want to continue to grow in knowledge, right, to teach and to learn and to obey all that God has taught us, to grow in knowledge, but that's not the end game. Here's the end game in the text to do what It comes next to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. So we don't define spiritual maturity. What is spiritual maturity fully defined? It's the full fullness of Jesus Christ. Anybody in here the fullness of Jesus Christ yet? Nope. Jesus is the standard. He's the foundation and he's the standard. We don't get to define, oh, I'm spiritually mature enough. I've learned enough. I've served enough. I've given enough. No. The standard is Jesus. So are you stewarding your, your giftedness to help yourself and help others grow to become more like Jesus? I can't reach spiritual maturity outside of biblical community. In order to walk worthy and to mature fully, I must steward my gifts faithfully, which requires biblical community. So if I'm trying if I if I have a gift and part of growing to be more like Jesus is utilizing my gift and my gift is to build the church, can I utilize that gift and to grow outside of the church? No. Yeah, it can bless your neighbors, it can bless the community, absolutely. But spiritual gifts in this text what's the point to build up the what? body. It's the purpose of spiritual gifts. Third question, heart level question to ask ourselves this morning is this is am I building God's church daily? We see that right here, right? To build up the body, that's verse 12. And verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are called to build up the body. There's a purpose to God's process is to become fully mature followers of Christ. The body in this text, we would call it the church, the church family, the church body. Each of us has personal responsibility to embracing kingdom responsibility. Walking worthy and growing spiritually means building God's church faithfully and daily. So what are three ways in this text to grow and to build God's church daily for each of us? And again, you can't walk worthy. You can't grow fully spiritually mature outside of the body, outside of biblical community. The first way for each of us to grow is to this, to help build God's church is to one, grow up. Grow up. It literally, it's in the text, right? To grow up into him who is the head. Verse 15, to help build the church. To take a step, because look at what happens here. So the word literally is to grow up. We see the word grow up right there. To grow up in Jesus' is the head, to spiritually mature, to grow in information, but also to mature. Verse 14 talks about so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness. Man, every social media post, every, every teacher on YouTube who claims this or every news network that claims that, and we're just like to and fro and to and fro, Right? No, spiritual maturity means I'm no longer a child, but I'm growing to full manhood and I'm embracing more responsibility. Think about practical parenting, right? There's these processes that you have a baby, then a toddler, then an adolescent, then a teenager, and then an adult, right? And the same thing grows spiritually. So we need to keep growing spiritually to grow up in that way, to love others, to care for others. So what does it look like to grow up? Well, it means is stop being a consumer and start being a contributor. Think about your kids. They're five, you feed them. Great. They're teenagers, they got chores, right? At some point, they got to pay rent. Maybe. Are you just a consumer in God's church or are you a contributor? Growing up means I'm not waiting for someone else to tithe to help cover the deficit or to help. Ev- I mean, I'm willing to do it. Are you? I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to embrace kingdom responsibility. I am getting in my Bible. I am having expressing more discipline, right? That happens with maturity in life. You, the teenager should be more disciplined than the five-year-old. The 25-year-old should be more disciplined than the teenager. Same way, spiritual maturity. Where do you need to grow up? Where do you need to stop being a spectator and start becoming a shareholder? Ownership, investment. Where do you need to grow up? What's the next step you need to take? Secondly, speak up. Look at verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love. Encouraging. Exhorting. Loving speaking truth and grace. Where do you do these things? You do these things in biblical community. Where do you grow up? You grow up in biblical community. I've learned and grown so much in, in small groups and disciple-making relationships. We speak truth to each other. We encourage each other. We exhort each other. When we fall short, we pick each other up. A big deal for me, I need it. I needed it this past week when I went down and was serving my, my family, reaching out to people, a handful of people said, I need your prayers. I need help. Speak into my life. I, I'm weak. I'm weary. I'm anxious. I'm overwhelmed. Because growing up and speaking up begins with opening up. Opening up your life, opening up your heart. You're not just, step one might be to show up to small groups. Step two might be to actually open up in small groups take the barrier down and let people know what's really beginning to happen so we can love each other. And yet you're like, it's messy. You're right. It is messy. We're a mess. I'm a mess. That's why We need Jesus. That's why humility comes in uh, to actually a- express the reality that I'm a mess. I'm not perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. To claim perfection is to actually deny the power of Jesus in your life. That's why we are made more strong when we actually admit our weakness. Speak up. We all need God. We need to breathe life to speak scripture into each other's lives. Where's a great place to do this? Biblical community. Next and finally, step up. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined together is held together by a joint, with every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is what? Working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want you to catch this. You need to catch this, that there is both a vertical responsibility to our walk and there is a horizontal responsibility that this church will not reach maximum spiritual capacity and impact until every single one of us is doing our part properly. That's what this text teaches right here. Literally. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. My question for you is don't look at the person next to you. Don't elbow your spouse right now. Don't tap your kids on the head. Are you doing your part? As Ephesians 4 outlines it, are you showing up? Because stepping up starts with showing up. The best ability is availability. Availability. Are you giving financially? Are you willing to disciple? Are you serving? Are you loving? Are you caring? Are you opening your home? Are you outreaching to the neighbor across the street? Are you being willing to inconvenience? Are you stepping up to work properly? That's like right there in the text. Paul is challenging us to work properly. Die more and more to ourselves than to make more and more of Jesus. When you're not here, it hurts everybody else. When you don't give, it hinders everything else. When you don't serve, it hurts you and everyone else. Like there is a horizontal responsibility. Like it's like on a football team, oh, the quarterback's the guy. What happened if the left left tackle just decides not to block on a play? <laughs> Like, what you do impacts everything else to accomplish the mission and the vision. Your part matters, whether you're the pinky toe, whether you're the the rib, whether you're the elbow. Jesus is the head. He's the boss. He's the Lord. But you have a vital role to play in the body. So, Friends, I don't know where you need to step up. I just know we all need to step up. Will you step up? It's God asking, really. It's not me. Where do you need to step up? Maybe it's a priority issue. Maybe it's a time issue. Maybe it's a stewardship. It probably is a stewardship issue because at one point you will give an accountability. You will give an account to God, not not just to harvest or to your neighbor or to your spouse. You will give an accountability to God for how you used the time, talent, resources that he gave you to use to build his church. What will you say on that day? And when you do this, you will discover the beauty that is living in biblical community. Imperfect people united in a perfect pursuit of the Lord. So friends, where do you need to grow up? Where do you need to speak up? Where do you need to step up? We can't maximize kingdom impact unless all of us are doing our part properly. It's empowered by the Lord. It's built on the Lord. And it's for the glory of the Lord to build the church of the Lord. It's not about us. And when I challenge you to step up, it's from a heart of discipleship. And we are willing to equip you. We are willing to walk with you. It's an open heart that goes, I, we will meet with you. We will pri- we will help resource you. We will give you our time and our, but I can't make you, you can lead a camel to drink. You can't make him drink. I can't make you get into God's word. I can't make you desire God more. I can't make you serve. Only you can choose. The question is what do you want? The question is who are you serving? The question is whose kingdom are you building? One of those next major steps that you can take, and we're going to spend some time in prayer for it here in a second, is to join a small group. If you're not in a small group, I would lovingly, speaking the truth in love, as this text says, strongly encourage and exhort you to join a small group. And if you've been in a small group but you haven't really been all in in a small group, start getting all in in the small group. It's not about the small group; it's about spiritual maturity. And we need you. You need us. And we all need God, amen? We can't reach full spiritual maturity outside of biblical community. We try, though, don't we? Life gets hard. Life hurts. Grief is the price of love. Life gets messy. The power of the gospel is in forgiveness. Let's embrace the love of God as we choose to live the messy life, but the beautiful life of God community in and through God today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your gospel. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Father, I just pray that you would just work in our midst, that we would grow to be more and more like you each and every day, God. And Father, we're so thankful for the work that you did for us on the cross to unite us. God, help the things of the world to not divide us. God, help us to choose to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have called us. Knowing that you purchased our peace, you empower our peace, but we need to seek and be willing to maintain the peace. Father, I pray that we would give our lives to serve you and to grow in you on a daily basis. God, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.